Well, hello, folks. This is Jamie Oichel from RunningRestaurants.com. Got another great podcast session on tap for you today where my guest is Dale Willerton, the lease coach. Dale absolutely just crushes it in the leasing space. He's been doing it for years. I've had Dale on before, and he's always an awesome guest, and he was again today. So we talked about um, things like uh, Dale's upcoming presentations at the New York Restaurant Show and uh, lots of little tips about leasing that for your restaurant can absolutely make the difference in the success of your business, things that can wreck your business if you get them wrong, Lots of insider tips that Dale is just great with sharing. So let's get right into it. So Dale, uh, later this week, man, you're going to be traveling to New York City. I know you're going to be presenting at the restaurant show there again. What are you going to be talking to folks about? Well, that's right, Jamie. It's my eighth year at the fantastic New York restaurant show. And if you have not attended, you know, any of your listeners, it's it's a must-attend event. There's a lot of fantastic speakers. Of course, I'm the expert on negotiating commercial real estate leases for restaurants. And restaurant owners make a lot of mistakes when it comes time to negotiate their lease renewal. I want to be I want to make a point here. The majority of the people that attend this show have existing restaurants. So when they come to my seminar, they're interested in what I can show them about negotiating a renewal. Uh, of course, some people come along and they're opening up brand new restaurants. But when it comes to renewals, one of the biggest mistakes that tenants make is they they don't start the process far enough in advance. So I'll get a call from a tenant saying, my restaurant lease is expiring in three months. You know, what, what should I do? And I say, well, you should have started nine months ago. You should start a year in advance on your renewal process. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that, Dale. And people definitely come in from both sides, the renewals and the, and the news. And and I was gonna I was gonna mention to folks, we uh, did a great session with Dale a, f- a few months ago, and uh, we got into it for about 30 minutes on stuff. And you should absolutely find that on the website. It's loaded with tips for folks, and so um, uh, a, lot, a lot of background there. And so I thought it'd be fun, Dale, to kind of do some stories today, and and, and as, as well as sharing tips because he just naturally shares a lot of great tips with folks. And uh, and I actually wanted to ask you a similar question of what the things that people do. So without like throwing someone under the bus, like, hey, Jimmy made this weird mistake, without throwing anyone under the bus, what are some of those other bad things that restaurants get themselves into when they when they do leases? Well, I remember a, a large franchise restaurant chain. One of the we did about ten deals for for franchisees in the organization. I get a phone call from one of the existing franchisees who says, Dale, I want you to handle my lease renewal. And I said, Well, let's that's fine, but it sounds like there's a backstory here. And he says, oh, yeah. He said, when we when we opened our restaurant nine and a half years ago, he said, Murphy's Law, everything that could go wrong did go wrong at the worst possible time. So he was opening up a new restaurant, Jamie, and the even though he had a lawyer helping him and he had a, his franchisor helping him, a lot of things went wrong. So, for example, he didn't realize when he signed the lease agreement that the landlord was going to take over a month to return their executed version back to him. So now he was like a month behind because he couldn't he couldn't really start the project. He didn't have a signed lease agreement. And of course the clock was ticking. So he had a contractor all lined up. He ended up hiring the contractor, starting the build out on the restaurant, and midway through the project the contract quit. They had a disagreement. He quit. Well now he's scrambling to find a replacement contractor, but the clock is ticking, right? And so then he found out his HVAC systems on the roof didn't work, and, you know, just one thing after another went wrong with permits, and he ended up opening up three months late. Now, he was paying $15,000 a month in rent, 
and basically flushed $45,000 of rent down the toilet before he even got his restaurant open. So that would not have happened if he had had a flexible or a floating commencement date. See, you've got to be careful. If you say, I'm, I'm going to start paying rent on February the 1st, and you're not open, the landlord still expects you to pay rent. Floating commencement date. Yeah, so it sounds like this guy was just a, uh, a train wreck of a situation. That was a big one. What, what else have you seen that's kind of things that people don't think about that end up really hurting them in the deal structure? Well, in the permitted use clause, sometimes they assume they can sell anything they want to sell or that they have an exclusive for that right. And and this one um, tenant found out that he, he said, I can't understand why the landlord is letting a very similar use concept open up three doors down for me. He said, I have an exclusivity clause. And I said, well, send me your lease agreement. Let me look at it. And sure enough, in his lease, Jamie, it said, exclusivity. The tenant will prohibit anyone else from selling this type of food. But if the landlord does allow someone to sell this food, the original tenant can terminate the lease. Well, he didn't want to terminate the lease. This was not an exclusivity clause at all. It was a right of termination clause, right? So the landlord right. went ahead and put in another competitor three doors down from him and pretty much killed his business because, you know, his franchisor and his his uh, lawyer didn't explain to him that, you know, just because something says exclusivity, you've got to read every word in the clause. You've probably seen stuff like that happen before, and and then you get into it with, with folks. Is, is it a case where, hey, it's black and white, it's an illegal thing, and that's where it is? You, you get in there and help them. Where do you step in on a process like that? Well, as the lease coach, you know, most, most tenants will come to us to negotiate their lease renewal or to do, like I'm flying from, I'm in West Palm Beach today and then I'm flying up to Boston to do some site selection for a client and then, and then going down to the New York restaurant show. And most tenants want us to physically do the negotiating for them, but we also do a, an incredible document review process. You know, the the legality of the lease is not really in question. And that, Jamie, that's why some tenants they 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 get all lawyered up because they think, well, don't I have to make sure the lease agreement is legal? Well, it's not a question of legality. It's a question of what does it actually say your rights are. And if I could tell you one thing that tenants do all the time is they read things into it into an agreement. They, they think, well, since it doesn't say I can't sell this product, or since it doesn't say I can't be closed on Sundays, I'm going to be closed on Sundays. And the landlord comes along and says, why isn't your restaurant open on Sundays? Well, I'm in church. Well, the landlord says, that doesn't matter. You, you know, the, the lease agreement doesn't allow you to be closed on Sundays. You have to be open. And these things could have been avoided if someone had just anticipated it when they went through the 40, 50, 60-page lease document. Uh, I'm doing uh, I'm doing a couple of deals in Manhattan right now where there are incredible arguments over past utility bills, okay? Because the landlord, in, once a year, the landlord is supposed to reconcile all the operating costs. If a tenant occupies a certain amount of space, if they occupy 15% of a building, they pay for 15% of the operating costs, the CAM. Well, Landlords have waited years to reconcile those camps. And so now the tenant gets a bill from the landlord for three years of utilities for $80,000 and things like that. And 
and the tenant never saw it coming. So you've got to you've got to make sure your lease agreement requires the landlord to be prompt in their reconciling of the common area maintenance charges or they lose that right. You know, if they don't reconcile within 90 days, there should be like a statute of limitations. They don't get to come back to you three years later. It's amazing how many little things can happen. And those surprises in a restaurant business where you're, in a, you're, you're already maybe not cash flow positive and then you get hit with an 80K bill, man, it could shut you down. And, and, then, all, and then you're talking about hiring lawsuits and, and, and all these other things to get through it, and it can mm-hmm. kill you. So you got to be very careful. I, I want to go to site selection for a second because it sounds like you're, you know, you're jumping on a plane pretty soon. You're going to be dealing with that, and I always find that to be a fascinating process. If you were to share with uh, the listeners one, two, three quick tips about site selection, what do you think you'd tell them? Okay. When you're driving around doing your site selection, don't pull up in front of a building and phone the four lease sign. Okay. Do all, I do all my site selection at once. I do all my driving. I, I might pick 15 to 20 different sites. Then I go back to my hotel room and I look on the internet and I can eliminate half of those sites because the space is too big, it's too small, it's already leased, that type of thing. I do my internet research first, and that way, when I do phone them, I'm prepared, I know a little bit about the property, and I don't sound like I'm doing it for the first time because I'm sitting on the parking lot phoning from my cell phone. So that's one of the things that they they really need to do with site selection. The second thing is to remember that you're you're going to be responsible for the real estate agent earning a very, very large commission, okay? And that commission is paid by the landlord. So I often say at my seminars, Jamie, if you were having a legal disagreement with the landlord, would you share their lawyer? And, of course, everybody laughs and says, no, of course I'd never share the landlord's lawyer. I say, well, why would you share their real estate agent? Why would so you phone a property and Bob is really nice to you and Bob shows you the space, but it turns out the space is too small. So Bob, like a good salesman, says, Why don't you let me show you around town? Why don't you let me show you some other locations? Well the problem is he's taking you to other listings where there are other real estate agents involved. Okay? And if you think that someone who's being paid by the landlord is going to go to bat for you and try to hit a home run for you, you're probably mistaken because their job is to help the landlord. Their job is not to hurt you. I'm not saying you should be afraid of real estate agents. I'm saying just don't put too much faith that they're going to go out there and try to get you the best deal because they want to get a listing on that property. They want to work with that landlord over and over and over, right? So be careful if you're using a real estate agent, uh, you know, Sometimes it feels like they're working for you, but often they're not. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? You know what's great about Dale's story is, uh, and this came out in our in our previous call. And you know, Dale started on the other side of the table, right, as the as the leasing mm-hmm. side. And when when he tells this story, maybe you can share a little bit a little bit of it. Is obviously, and, and people people just like when we buy a car or we go to the, the the mechanic, we feel like we're getting taken advantage of sometime. And, and landlords do have tricks, right? They have things where they try to you know the gotchas of the world. And you know it's great that Dale saw some of that. And now he brings that to his clients. What do you what are some of those gotchas in the world today where landlords are like, oh, I'm glad we slipped that through. What do you think? Well, here's 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 a really common classic issue. 
it's sort of a two-part thing. Everyone's heard of an offer to lease or a letter of intent. And the reason that so many tenants so willingly sign a letter of intent to lease is that right at the bottom it says neither the landlord nor the tenant are bound by this letter of intent. Well, the problem with the letter of intent is most of the time the real estate agent drafts it so it's from the tenant to the landlord. Well, I think that's backwards. When I'm representing a tenant, Jamie, I say to the real estate agent, would you like to, you know, would the landlord like to have this restaurant tenant in this building? And the real estate, you know, the listing agent says, of course, we'd like to have that tenant here. I said, well, then send me a proposal. Chase me. Show me how much you want me. So it's really a mistake to make the letter of intent or make the offer to lease to the landlord in most situations. And and the, the other thing you have to be aware of is, if you submit an, a letter of intent and you want to change something later, then the landlord will, will, will accuse you of negotiating in bad faith because they'll say, well, it was your letter of intent to me. If you asked for two months of free rent and now you want four months of free rent, why are you negotiating in bad faith? Why didn't you ask for four months to begin with? And one last point, one last point that I see happen a lot. If you're starting a brand new restaurant and you haven't formed your company yet, they will write the letter of intent or the offer to lease up in your personal name. Mm -hmm. Sometimes even if you have a corporation, they will put it in your personal name and say, well, don't worry about it. We'll transfer it to your corporation later. Well, but that puts you on the hook. Like you should not be entering into a lease agreement under your personal name. So if I had not incorporated my company yet, it would be Dale Willerton or nominee or Dale Willerton on behalf of a company to be incorporated. You don't want to go into the offer to lease stage under your personal name thinking, well, I'll slip my company name in on the formal lease. They might object to that because when you sign a lease agreement under your personal name, it's the equivalent of giving a 100% guarantee, personal guarantee. If you enter under the lease agreement under your company name, that doesn't mean you're giving a guarantee at all. You know what's what's what two things are fascinating. One is so many little parts of the of the deal and uh, that can that can impact it. Just like that, just a, just a name thing, and that you make. Oh, we'll change it later, but that that can make a big deal. And what what um the other quote that it reminds me of when we spoke last time is you say something like you know I it's another Wednesday for me, right? You're doing you're doing these deals all the time. Whereas for mm -hmm. a restaurant, they may they may do one or two or, or if they're lucky three in their in their lifetime. And so it's it's they they can they can be overwhelmed by all this stuff. Or for you, boom, it's an, it's another Wednesday. Do you get what? How, how do you deal with that emotional process of, of the, 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 the tenant really feeling like, hey, it's their livelihood on the line and they just kind of want to rush to do stuff or maybe that sometimes they're too slow to do stuff. But meanwhile, you're sitting in the middle going, man, I've done this before. Let's just, you know, here, here's what you need to do. What, what, what well, about that psychology no, of the process? That's typically the real estate agent putting pressure on the tenant. See, I, I call myself a lease consultant because I'm prepared to go at the tenant's pace. I don't work for the landlord. I'm not chasing a commission. The tenant is paying me, and the tenant can go. He can say, I want to go really fast and get this deal done in a month, or he can say, I want to go slow and get it done in six months. There's no pressure for me to make them go forward. I don't have any emotional involvement. My objectivity is part of, you know, part of my strength. And so it's very easy for me to come back to a tenant and say, you know, these are not the right locations for you. I recommend you wait for a month. Let's look for new locations. You can't afford to build out, spend several hundred thousand dollars building out a restaurant 
and find out it was in the wrong area or was the wrong location. You just can't afford to do that. And we charge the same fee whether it takes a month or whether it takes three months. And I want to encourage the listeners, you know, if you have not read my book, Negotiating Commercial Leases and Renewals for Dummies, which is available on Amazon, it's available in Barnes & Noble. If you mention this podcast, you email me and say, I heard you on Running Restaurants. Can I have a free copy of your book? I will autograph and mail you a free copy of my book. Your job is to read it, 330 pages. Read it, and that will show you how much you did not know. Most people signing their first lease agreement, Jamie, are what we call unconscious incompetence. They don't know what yeah. they don't know. And then they read my book, and now they know what they don't know, but they don't know how to fix it, right? Because the mistake is that people say knowledge is power. Well, you can read my book. You Now you've got the knowledge, but you don't have the experience. See, the, the average restaurant owner is negotiating against a real estate agent or a landlord with 10 to 30 years of experience. Why should they be able to do a good job? Where could you go? Could you get on a golf course? Could you do anything and play against someone who does it for a living and, and, and hold your own? You really couldn't. So experience is where the power comes from. I've been doing this literally 25 years for tenants and before that for landlords. So it, it, that's what really makes the difference. You can cut through the baloney. Yeah, I mean that's good. I was gonna I was gonna mention your book, so I'm glad you did, and that's re- really cool for you to to offer folks to do that. So yeah, take Dale up on that. Go to his website, uh, send 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 him an email. They are uh, I guess we'll just uh, the least uh, correct me if I'm wrong. TheLeaseCoach.com, correct? Yeah, if you go to the website, my picture, my email address is on there. Dale Willerton at TheLeaseCoach.com. And Jamie, everybody that comes to my seminar in New York gets a complimentary copy of my book as well. And then they can come back to my booth and talk to me about it and. You know, so it's really, there's really a full, no obligation, no charge consultation to decide if you want to get some help. And we're, you know, I get restaurant owners who are paying $3,000 a month and restaurant owners that are paying $30,000 or $40,000 or $50,000 a month in rent coming to me for advice and guidance because it's important to understand that nobody wants to pay for legal help. Nobody wants to pay for accounting services. Nobody wants to pay a lease consultant. But we're all willing to invest in our business. And if you don't invest now, you're going to be hiring me two years from now to fix the mistakes that you over, that you didn't even have to make, the, the things that you overlooked, because you never had me review your document. Yeah, Dale's right. I mean, I, we we don't like to, to to sell or promote on on the podcast per se, but I mean, you can hear uh, from from Dale's uh, talking that if this, if you're in this world right now where you're about to do a, a renewal or a lease for the first time, I mean, you really should get some guidance. So check yeah, check out Dale's stuff for sure. And Dale, I want to I want to ask you. Um, so you're you're speaking um, in New York. That's coming up here in March. What else What else do you do? Where Where else do you travel around? Where else can people find you? Well, two weeks later, I'm at the I'm in Baltimore at the at a big coffee trade show. Right. Then two weeks after that, I'm speaking at the nightclub and bar show in Las Vegas. Then I've got the California restaurant show, the Florida restaurant show, and I do about 40 to 45 speaking engagements a year. I'm actually just finishing up here in West Palm Beach because I do a lot of the real estate training for UPS Courier. There's 5,000 UPS Courier companies or stores, and they're all franchised. 
right? So they bring me in to show the UPS franchisees how to negotiate better leases. Well, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. With restaurants, I think the reason it's more important to be diligent if you're opening up a restaurant is that there's so much competition. There's so much, you know, there's so much you can't control that if you don't control what you can, it's going to unravel on you. It's, it's, yeah, I think what's fascinating so, about re re restaurants, just to, just to stop you there, you know, you talk about a UPS or a, a nail salon or a lot of other places, they, they can pretty much go into a box or a rectangle and, and, you know, carve it out and put up a few things and get started. Whereas a restaurant, it's a lot more of an intense uses in it, whether it was you or another expert I talked to previously, you know, you're cutting holes in the roof and it, it's, it's, it's a very much more structured thing that you, it's, it's hard to replicate that that situation do you find that to be the case is it one of your more difficult negotiation verticals not negotiation but i mean not, conceptually i would i wouldn't use the word difficult i would just say there's more moving parts to it because for you know making sure that you can sell everything that you want to sell is in your permitted use clause making sure that another restaurant tenant in the same plaza doesn't sell your primary uh, product as an ancillary product in their restaurant and cut your sales okay so you know they're not they look different but but what you make your meat and potato what you make your 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 main uh, money from you know two other restaurants are selling on the side and I remember when I was a shopping center manager and we had about nine tenants in the food court and they would fight each other by cutting prices and you know the hot dog guy would start selling hamburgers and then the hamburger guy would start selling pizza and I had to go and have a talk with him and say look you should all work together you're just hurting yourself because you're overlapping on uses and you're not uh, you're not you know you're giving away free drinks well drinks are a big profit margin no restaurant should be giving away free drinks to induce someone to buy food you know things like that yeah, that's right. And so I want to leave folks with um with kind of a question and maybe maybe uh put you on the spot here. Who um if you were to identify a, a role model in your life that helped you build your business and grow and and the way you think about people and growth and the marketing that you do, who would you kind of point to as a role model in your life? Well, I think Jim Rohn who who is, you know, passed a few years ago. Jim Rohn is America's philosopher. Uh he's just an incredible uh, I've attended his seminars. I've bought most of his products, read his books. I've really studied Jim Rohn. And so if you, if you're not familiar with him, you know, he's the kind of guy that makes things we think that are common sense. He shows us how to apply them in our life and how to be ethical and, and still how to, you know, I walk that fine line, Jamie, where I'm fighting to get the very best deal for my client, but I still want to be ethical and politically correct, and I still want to be a gentleman, right? There's no big victory in, you know, if you, if you kill your opponent, uh, there's no big victory in that. So, yeah, Jim Rohn, Brian Tracy, who you know, Brian Tracy is someone, you've got to read his books, um, you know, some of those philosophers uh, I've learned a lot from. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, Dale, it's always great to have you here, man. Uh, I've seen Dale speak in person, and if you haven't had a chance to do that yet, you absolutely do need to do need to see him in person. He is great with the audience, great with the crowd, shares tons of stuff. Uh, the book is fantastic. Pick that up. 
uh, take advantage of that opportunity to do so. Dale, thank you for joining me, buddy. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Jamie. Bye for now. Awesome. All right, folks. Hey, it's been Jamie Oikel from RunningRestaurants.com along with Dale Williton, The Lease Coach. Uh, make sure you check those guys out on the web at TheLeaseCoach.com. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day, folks. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the RunningRestaurants.com podcast. Our mission here is to help independent restaurants be more profitable and successful. Be sure to visit the site at RunningRestaurants.com where you can sign up for our free email newsletter. You can also find our Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube links there. Please be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to us. And please subscribe and review us on iTunes and Google Play. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you again soon.